Before we begin, let's pray. Gracious and loving God, we pray that only your word be spoken, only your word heard, and only your word lived. We pray this in the name of Jesus Christ, our Lord. Amen. Well, in her Lifetime Achievement Award acceptance speech at the 2018 Golden Globes, uh, Oprah Winfrey said, and I quote, what I know for sure is that speaking your truth is the most powerful to tool we have. And uh, when she shared this, she was articulating the wisdom of our time. You know, that the truest hope that we have in this world is our own truth. And these words are so, uh, they're so entrenched in our lexicon today that we actually don't recognize them for the incoherent nightmare they actually are. Um, you know, living your own truth, it feels good when it means uh, getting, you know, picking up some guitar lessons, uh, when you've been too afraid to learn how to play the guitar, perhaps, or adding that extra cayenne pepper to that family recipe that you, you really haven't touched. But what happens when uh, your truth means that dad feels called to a new lover, feels called to a new family? The fact is that inevitably, one person's truth will collide with another person's truth, and we're left with no ability to reason. We're left with protesters marching for Black Lives Matter or trucker convoys blockading the Capitol, diametrically opposed truths with only power deciding the victor. And, and that's because our culture uh, says that the self is the primary source of truth. How many times have you heard, you know, follow your heart, you know, live your truth? In our culture today, Authorities are uh, questionable. They're valuable insofar as they validate us, right? And institutions, well, they exist to affirm us, not form us. And yet today we heard uh, the Jeremiah reading, and it says, The heart is deceitful above all things and beyond cure. And what Jeremiah is saying is that our hearts aren't reliable, right? They, our hearts are poor anchors for truth and hope. And if our hope is anchored in us, then hope becomes uh, unreliable. It's subject to the whims and contradictions of our fickle emotions, our fickle hearts. Jeremiah says, Curse, Cursed is the one who trusts in man, who draws strength from mere flesh, and whose heart turns away from the Lord. That person will be like a bush in the wastelands. They will not see prosperity when it comes. They will dwell in the parched places of the desert, in a salt land where no one lives. You know, as I was uh, reading the commentary uh, on Jeremiah, the commentator mentions that the bush in the Jeremiah reading is the tamarisk, a dwarf juniper that looks, apparently looks stark and looks naked, um, with no real prospects of improvement because um, the roots don't penetrate to the water levels, you know, beneath the surface. And I think that's an excellent way to describe living your own truth. You know, Jeremiah says that if we trust uh, our own hearts and you know, if we're anchoring our hope in ourselves, 
our accomplishments, you know, our achievements, our individualistic values, uh, we're cursed. We're cursed to carry an, an unlivable burden because our emotions, our hearts, they have a limit. We're human. And when things get really hard, our relative hope won't help. We need a hope that goes deeper than ourselves. You know, soon enough, we'll be entering our the third year of this pandemic reality. And if you're like me, like your heart must be exhausted. You know, even to speak of hope feels, uh, it almost feels empty. Like hope is just another buzzword that we throw around on Sundays. And honestly, you know what? I get that. Um, and yet I was reading this quote by uh, G.K. Chesterton, and I want to share it with you right now because it really touched my heart. And this is what G.K. Chesterton uh, said. And I quote, as long as matters are really hopeful, hope is a mere flattery or platitude. It is only when everything is hopeless that hope begins to be a strength at all. Like all the Christian virtues, it is as unreasonable as it is indispensable. He's, what he's saying is that when everything feels hopeless, that's when hope becomes a strength. And then I guess I'm asking you, do you feel that hope is just now a buzzword? Or do you feel pushed beyond your limits? Then we need to explore real hope because we actually need it. You know, um, if you, as you read the New Testament, you'll notice that the New Testament uses the word hope in two different ways. One is a relative hope based on what we can accomplish. So, for example, you lend your friend money uh, while you hope you get it back, right? Uh, maybe you will, maybe you won't. But the other type of hope that the New Testament uses is hope as full assurance based on what God can accomplish. And the hope that we need is that full assurance hope. And the New Testament make, makes clear that that hope is the resurrection of Jesus. That's what St. Paul says over and over again, especially in our Corinthians reading that we heard today. See, the resurrection of Jesus is God's generous gift of overflowing life and love. And that hope based on that eternal life and love is ours if we turn to Jesus in repentance and faith. Now, uh, every religion has offered humans a hope of life after death. You know, some say that our souls, uh, they reach a paradise. Uh, or others say that our spiritual essence will pass into the all-soul. So while the physical world or our physical lives end, we continue. But secular culture, which is the one we live in now, is the first to offer humans a vision that is that both our personal selves and world history will end in the heat death of the universe. So secularism actually has no vision for life after death. Death is the end. That's why Oprah Winfrey's uh, statement, live your own truth, that speech could only meaningfully land in a secular culture that says all religions are right, which sounds enlightened, but actually in practice, it means all religions are wrong because there's no life after death. So 
live your truth, you know, make money, spend it on pleasures, enjoy this life. It's all we have. And as I thought about it, I noticed that secularism is functionally nihilistic. Since there's no life after death, in the end, we go to nothing as a civilization and as individuals. And as Christians, it's easy to buy into this. Okay, maybe we're not uh, protesting in Ottawa to assert our power, but we find our own ways to buy into secular nihilism. It, in other words, we live our own truth in other ways. And the way we do it, you know, living my own truth means prioritizing what I want. I prioritize what I consider my well-earned comforts. How I spend my time is determined by the activities that I enjoy rather than what God is asking of me. How I spend my money is ultimately determined by uh, the vacations I want to take or the pleasures that I'm seeking rather than uh, by what God says in his word or what God shares in the Bible on giving. In other words, my time my money, my life isn't determined by God's generous gift and the resurrection of Jesus. It's determined by an uncritically absorbed secularism. But if the secular vision is right, then the resurrection is false. And why would I even bother with any, any of that? And you know, St. Paul agrees. If there is no resurrection, then buying into uh, live your own truth, well, that's doing life right. In fact, he goes further. He makes the point really clear. You know, in our first uh, Corinthians reading today, St. Paul says that if the resurrection didn't happen, the whole Christian thing, it's a farce. He says in verse 13, 14, 16, Christ has not been raised. Our preaching is in vain. Your faith is in vain, right? So anything that's motivated by your faith in Jesus, um, going to church on Sunday, Bible studies, uh, listening to this sermon, me preaching a sermon, it's a waste. Every Christian-y thing that we do is meaningless because faith is not created, it's not sustained, it's not increased by looking at ourselves or looking at others, but only by absorbing the reality and the implications of the resurrection of Jesus. Right? And Paul goes on. If Jesus wasn't raised, verse 15, we are misrepresenting God. Because if God didn't raise Jesus from the dead, then Jesus is some kind of guru-like imposter. And it's nothing short of blasphemy to link the name of God with a person like that. If Jesus wasn't raised from the dead, verse 17, you're still in your sins. Right? So if Jesus uh, stayed dead, there are only really two possible conclusions. One, either Jesus wasn't sinless or... Jesus died to save our sins, but somehow that didn't meet with divine approval, and it didn't work. The cross didn't work. Either way, we're still in our sins, we're still cut off from God, and we're facing judgment just like everyone else. Verse 18, if Jesus wasn't resurrected, those who have fallen asleep in Christ have perished. That means that if Jesus is still dead, then the wall of death separates us from all those that we have loved and lost. And that's forever. There's no hope. And verse 19, we are, we are of all people most to be pitied. 
So if there's no resurrection, the best we have is to choose Jesus as a teacher among many great teachers this world offers. And Paul sees this attitude to Jesus as pitiable and pathetic. Because if there's no such thing as a resurrection, much of Jesus' teaching falls to the ground and he's actually revealed to be a liar. And so St. Paul is circling this point with unmistakable clarity in Corinthians that the Christian hope, and indeed the hope of the whole world, is the resurrection of Jesus. And, I mean, Paul is declaring that the resurrection is a fact of history and his life changed forever because of it. You know, Paul went from being an academic to a church planter traveling the known world, starting up churches and making sure that they were generously supporting each other with their prayers and their finances. Because the resurrection of Jesus means not living for, you know, well-earned comforts, but living into a generous life, living into a generous life of Jesus and inviting others to do likewise, to live in that resurrection hope. Now, if you're a Christian, can you say the same? Can I? You know, maybe uh, when you think about it, in the end, you don't find the resurrection credible. You know, you don't find the resurrection credible enough to live your life this way. Because you could easily ask, well, where's the proof of the resurrection? Right? Uh, Well, this is an Anglican sermon, so I really only have 15 minutes. So, but let me say this. We all have hopes, right? Uh, modern Western progressive idealism, you know, secular, secular idealism believes that history is moving toward a more, uh, more individual freedom, more class equality, more economic prosperity, uh, a, tech- a technologically acquired peace and justice. But this idealism isn't something that anyone can test this kind of idealism is a I hope so hope, beliefs that are not rooted in the empirical realm. But the resurrection of Jesus Christ includes powerful evidence from the empirical realm while still requiring faith, and it provides a reasonable and rational hope that there is a God who is going to renew the world. My friends, I'm telling you right now, you want this to be true. You want the resurrection to be true because the alternative is really the heat death of the universe. And before you shrug your shoulders because, you know, the heat death, that's far away. Before you move to that posture, let me be real with you. That heat death of the universe will reach into your life right now. It's maybe you're already living it. Uh, You're working day in, day out with no perceivable purpose other than filling yourself with comfort. You know, the pleasures of nature, of family life, the the pleasures of achievements. But I'll be honest with you, all of that is going to sour in the face of real suffering and definitely sours in the face of inevitable death with no hope beyond. Do you want a hope that doesn't fade? Do you want a hope that breeds real generosity? then you must trust in the resurrection of Jesus. You know, this is so key. And if you want to explore this, you know what? I invite you to sign up for Alpha. We have Alpha in the spring. It's on our website. Sign up. Let's explore this together. 
or you can message me, you can email me, we can uh, go through the, the evidence of the resurrection, we can do that work together. This is so important. Don't let this pass you by. Okay. What if uh, you want to trust the resurrection, but you're not, you're not sure how? Well, Seth, how do I do? How do we do that? You know, I found um, there's a very uh, famous pastor. He's also an author, and he's been describing uh, online his uh, ongoing battle with cancer. And he's been really uh, helpful in describing how he has brought resurrection hope into his heart during this challenging time. And he was describing how um, he noticed how uh, his anxiety was increasing over every doctor's report. Now, he could feel in his heart that if the report wasn't good, he was devastated. And then on reflecting, he noticed that he was putting his ultimate hope in medicine instead of God. And he knew he needed to change that because in God, he had certainty that God's plan and will for him is always good and perfect, right? That's Romans 8.28. If his ultimate hope was medicine, he was going to die a thousand deaths before the end. But if his heart is, if his main hope is in the Lord, he is like a mountain that cannot be shaken or moved, right? That's Psalm 125. Not too long ago, we were reading through uh, Isaiah. And Isaiah 40, 31 says that those who hope in the Lord are not anxiously holding on, but always renewing their strength. They're even soaring. Hope in God leads to running, not growing weary, and walking and not being faint. And Jeremiah says to us today, but blessed is the one who trusts in the Lord, whose confidence is in him. That him is Jesus. We are meant to trust in Jesus. We're meant to trust in his resurrection. And because of that, live into a new life. We are called out of our own truth that leads to emptiness and live into the generous life of Jesus Christ. And so the real question is, how do you know that resurrection hope has taken hold of your life? How do you know? Well, one of the biggest signs that goes against the grain of our culture is this, generosity. You know, I was recently talking with um, a a family member, really really love them. And we were having this discussion the other night uh, about the Christian sexual ethic. Basically, what does the Bible say about premarital sex? And as we were talking, here's the insight that arrives. You know, our world says that, um, it says to us, be promiscuous with your body, right? Living into your own truth, have fun, nihilism, but be guarded with your money. But God says, be guarded with your body, right? Because I've called you to be holy and be promiscuous with your money. Be generous. Generosity is clear evidence where our hope actually is. You know, Jesus has some really sobering words on poverty and riches, right? We heard in our gospel reading today, blessed are you who are poor, for yours is the kingdom of God. But woe to you who are rich, for you have already received your comfort. Now, it's tempting to to 
think of rich and think of like Jeff Bezos or billionaires in the world, but really the rich are, it's us. If you have regular food and a place to live and you don't have roving bands of armies in your land and you have general freedoms, like we're all rich, right? I'm rich. And most of you make more than me. So we're all rich. Jesus is talking to us. And listen to what he's saying, because it's important that we're clear on this. Jesus is not saying that poverty uh, automatically saves you, right? That's not the point. Because poverty and richness are spiritually neutral. But the point is that richness can easily lead us to stumble, right? As uh, St. Ambrose once said, uh, Jesus is here. Jesus, sorry, Jesus is not here by implication condemning those who are rich in a sweeping way. But as elsewhere, he is indicating that those who are not encumbered by riches have incentives to fix their aspiration on higher things that the rich person often lacks. Right? The problem with the rich person is not the riches per se. Wealth is strictly, in a spiritual terms, as neutral as poverty. The difficulty in practice is that many of those who have riches do not know how to use them. And so the riches become stumbling blocks. Comfort takes the place that God rightly deserves. As Jesus says in the Gospel of Matthew, where your treasure is, that's where your heart will be also. So you have to ask yourself, do you trust the resurrection? Do, do I trust the resurrection? Or am I trusting in my own truth that is fixated on my uh, comforts? In other words, what is functionally your ultimate trust? Because when the resurrection is your hope, well, generosity is the result. You know? I mean, let's, let's think about this. Most of us, right? Most of us give this way. You know, we, we see a need, you know, um, something the church needs to be repaired. Or we hear a very sad story and we're moved. Uh, we're inspired to do something about it, right? And so we, we give a spontaneous gift. And that's wonderful. That's giving. But according to the biblical vision, that's not generosity. And, and here it's important to be really clear. Giving is good, right? Giving is wonderful. Giving honors God. But giving this way is not the same as generosity, right? Because generous people don't need to be inspired to give. Generous people, you know, they don't, uh, they don't just give when they see a need. They don't just give when they have extra. They don't just give when they're prompted by the Spirit to, uh, to give. Generous people, they plan to do what's generous, Right, A person anchored in a resurrection hope is indwelt with generosity that is not waiting until they have more. You know, They're not making excuses as to what they can do now. If you're anchored in a resurrection hope, giving is not what you do. Generous is who you are. This is what the Lord Jesus says. Blessed are you who are poor, for yours is the kingdom of God. But woe to you who are rich, for you have already received your comfort. I, the Lord, search the mind and examine, search the heart and examine the mind. Jesus is raised. There is a new hope. And to feel this hope, you have to live into it. 
allow it to grow from the inside out. And growth, growth and comfort cannot coexist. It hurts a little to move forward. But in all honesty, it hurts a lot more to stay where you are. You know, so here's an application. Here's an invitation as a first step, right, into the light, into living into this new hope. I'm going to, after the sermon, there's going to be an offertory moment. We've seen the offertory hymn. Uh, Tyler links in the chat. He links the uh, links to our websites, church websites, the giving page. And so I'm going to invite you to go to the giving page. And on those pages, there's a button that says spirituality of giving. I want to invite you to press that button and read that content. It, it's basically sharing uh, what God says about how we handle our money. The Lord is searching our hearts and examining our minds. I want to invite you to follow in the steps of Jesus and to be emotionally honest with him. You know, uh, talk to Jesus and be honest about your feelings about the resurrection, your doubts about it, perhaps. And be honest about how you feel about uh, your comforts. And allow God to speak into your heart. And as you allow God to speak into your heart, his love will get deep inside of you and it will overflow to others. It'll be noticeable. And you'll see that if we all do that as a church community, we will be a people generous and full of hope to the glory of God. Friends, let's pray together. Gracious and loving God, we uh, praise you and we thank you for the gift of hope, the gift of life and love that you have given us in the resurrection of Jesus. And God, I ask that as you examine our hearts and our minds, I, I, I ask that you move us to um, let go of these surrogate hopes that we have in our accomplishments and our achievements, money, things that can be taken away and, and help us to place your life, your love, the resurrection hope, at the center of our lives. Help us to move beyond uh, spontaneous giving and help us to move into honest and biblical generosity. Help us to do this for our great good, but more importantly, for your greater glory. And we pray this in the name of Jesus Christ, the Lord. Amen.